There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So it's tough out there at the moment. You might want to buy a house if you are a single person, maybe in a relationship and things are really wild. So, so wild out there. We know that infrastructure is a mess in most parts of Australia. We know that supply and demand is a mess in most parts of Australia. We know that there's such a critical shortage of homes, new homes. We know that there is a rental crisis. It is pretty savage out there. So we're going to talk about buying your first home in this deep dive episode. It's just me today. And I just want to call out that I really do know that it is tough out there. Hopefully it's not forever, but I still believe that the concepts that we talk about in this episode, and I say we because I'm going to read a heap of stuff from the Facebook group, are still valid. And yeah, I just want to say it is tough. Keep going. Really get your goals nailed. Really, really, really make sure that uh, saving for a first home is right for you. And remember, you might go on a two or three year savings campaign and then realize, oh, no, it's probably not for me. I'm just going to keep renting here. And you'll put that deposit into an investment property or into uh, the share market. Now, I will say as well, at the time of recording, John's book, Sort Your Property Out and Make More Money, is now available for purchase. It would be the perfect book for your new year um, if you are looking at buying your first home or your first investment property. And the genius about this book, the stuff that you need to look at when buying an investment property is slightly different to buying a house that you live in. But if you can buy a house that you live in using some of the concepts of that's an investment property, it will make the whole thing so much better. So sort your property out and build your future. There's a link in the show notes. My name's Glenn James. Let's do a podcast. So Dell in the Facebook group, back in November, and I've always had it in my little mental note to do an episode, Dell said, and Del Sutton, I'll say hi. I'll give you a full name because I just want to say hi. Thanks for being in our Facebook group. How do people enter the property market on their own in this day and age with current mortgage rates and property prices? Del, that is a question that so many people are asking. And I just replied in the Facebook group with great sacrifice and patience. So what I want to first do is talk about some things about uh, a first home buyer and some mistakes that you may make as a first home buyer. Then I'm going to talk potentially some structures that you may use as a first home buyer, either by yourself or with a partner. And then what I want to do, there was just a heap of really good comments from the Facebook group that I want to read out because I'm acutely aware that I'm just a facilitator of this conversation and I do not have all the answers, but there is a lot of gold from a lot of people uh, who listen to this podcast and who are in the Facebook group. So let's reveal it all back and we'll just remove the thought and the issue that at this current time, it is such a crisis in Australia, a housing crisis, and I hope it's not forever. But generally speaking, what can happen, and I think I'm talking about this from a personal finance position because for me, 
sure, I'm a money generalist and it always comes back to personal finances and how all that fits in. It can be a mistake uh, potentially for some, not always. And I would say it's not as common potentially in this climate um, because, you know, houses are bloody expensive. But the first mistake is that they borrow too much. We really do want to keep our mortgage repayments probably around 30% of our net income. I think they say, and I always forget because there's, you know, people make all this stuff up. I think 40% of your gross income is considered mortgage stress. So household income, all income sources, can we get our home mortgage repayments around 30%? 35, if you have to, 40%, be very careful. You'll end up in a pickle. 25% is great. 20% is euphoric. 0% is just the biggest orgasm listening to. Like imagine if you had 0% of my income on a mortgage repayment. Like, so when you are doing your planning, you really need to consider what you will be allocating to your first home or even any home upgrade because we don't want this amazing blessing to become a financial curse in our lives. So just be very clear on that. The second mistake that I see people make is they rush in to buy a house and they've still got consumer debt. They've still got the personal loan. They've still got their afterpay. And the reason why you really need to clean that stuff up is a couple of things. Like number one, you want less payments in your life. You want to get into that new home and you want to make sure that you've got a little bit of money to enjoy life. Like imagine moving into a new home and you don't have any money left. Can't even afford to have a dinner party because it's so tight. Having consumer debt payments will also impact your cash flow. It's simple as that. The second thing with consumer debt, it could probably limit how much you could borrow anyway. So that's just, you just want that clear. The third thing, which I think is the biggest problem If you've got consumer debt, it means that at some point you haven't had a good money system and you've spent more than what what you've earned. Now, if you haven't accrued any new consumer debt in the last 12 months, awesome. You've probably fixed that habit. And by consumer debt, I really mean credit cards, buy now, pay later, personal loans, all that stuff. The car loan, look, that's a whole other thing. I don't really rouse on people for having car loans if it's reasonable and all that. I personally don't. I'm just talking 100% consumer debt. Forget the car loan just for now. The third mistake that people can make is that they forget government incentives. And this is federally and this is state-based as well. So I'm talking stamp duty thresholds for first home buyers that are state-based. I'm talking um, like the federal loan scheme where the government will let you buy a home with a 5% deposit. I'm talking if there are any first home owner grants available at the time in your state or in uh, federally. And I'm talking about the first home super saver scheme. Now that scheme effectively means that you contribute more money into your super fund up to $50,000, $15,000 per year maximum. I think at the time, I'll put a link in the show notes to the ATO website on the first home super saver scheme, but effectively you can save money in super Uh, in a more tax effective way. And you might be able to save up to six grand, I think at the time of uh, me saying this is like the maximum savings available. So you've got to just check the government incentives. Now, 
I'll also put a link in the show notes. John Pigeon, who hosts the Property Podcast and co-hosts here on a Tuesday, is about to release a property book in the new year. It is fantastic. I honestly, I've proofread it all. I've gone through it. It is for first home buyers. It's for first time investment property buyers. And he's got an eight point strategy that he goes through in detail. Please link in the show notes. I think it's like 26 bucks or something. Like shut up, get educated. It is so good. It will really help you. Uh, And in that book, they've got summaries of um, all the government incentives that you can um, use to fast track your purchase arrangements. Um, The fourth point with buying a home generally, particularly if it is your first home and you are by yourself, people sometimes don't have an exit strategy. And when I say when you're buying it by yourself, this could mean, so you are single, you are by yourself, but you may buy a house with a friend and you don't have an exit strategy. Secondly, you may buy a house that's a a one-bedroom apartment okay, what's the exit strategy? Are we keeping this as an investment long-term if we move out or are we selling it? Over time, the property may increase in value and then are we putting that money into a new property? Uh, that's what I want you to think about in terms of your exit strategy. What is, what's the plan for this property? And I can share, um, I'll just make a note, Glenn's first property and I'll, um, I'll share kind of what I did with my first property. And then the fifth mistake that first home buyers make is they get spendy too soon once they get into the property. So someone might have worked so hard to save a deposit, so hard to get an emergency fund set up. They've worked so hard to clear consumer debt. They get the big goal and then they're like, oh, we do need new furniture. So we'll go and get 18 month interest refinance. Oh, we do need to do this or redo all that. And then we are slapping things on credit cards at Bunnings. So if you get spendy too soon, you'll end up in a pinch because you'll be a financial mess in your new home and you won't be able to enjoy it, enjoy it as much because you've got financial stress in your life. So I want you to get into your first home and just chill out for 10 minutes and let maybe a couple of seasons go past. See what the sun's doing throughout the year. See, see if, oh no, we, we actually, it's important that we save up and put a, a thing there on the back deck because it's, you know, that's actually westerly facing. We didn't realize that when we moved in. We didn't need to put the, and again, I got no idea about design, but we didn't need to pay for that lattice thing with the vine or something on the front porch. We needed um, something on the back deck. So just chill out when you get there, enjoy. I don't think there is any reason, and this is coming from someone, i.e. me, who doesn't have a financial problem in their life, okay? I'm at the time of recording this, it is Friday the 15th of December, I'm about to move, I rent where I live at the moment, I'm about to move into a new rental, I've wanted a new dining table for years, I refuse to buy brand new furniture because you can get such good deals on Marketplace. So I bought a table and a chair, a a dining room table because I wanted a round one and four suede type chairs and get this, you wouldn't believe it. Saw it on Marketplace. They paid 
$2,000 for the table, new, or like $1,800. And I think they paid $1,200 for the four chairs. I'm like, would you take 900 for all of it? And they're like, yep. And this is the crazy thing. I'm like, also, I'm moving into that unit so you can just leave it there when you leave. So, <laughs> so I just refuse to buy brand new bulky stuff anymore. And I don't have a money problem because you can just get too good a deal secondhand on Marketplace. I would rather instead of like maybe what I save maybe two grand, for example, I'd rather just invest that two grand and get, and it takes time and this is it. You don't get spending too soon. You just keep an eye on marketplace. You do searches in affluent suburbs and you go and steal stuff for cheap. I also said to the guy, he had a matching uh, coffee table and it's like this timber herringbone design and a matching side table to the lounge. I also texted him and said, hey, it's not desperate. I don't need it. But if you can't, because he's selling everything and moving to the States. I said, but if you wanted to leave it, you can leave the coffee table and the side table, but I don't need it. So who knows? I just think don't get spendy too soon when you move in. Don't get the fever and go to domain and king living and all that stuff. Secondhand, you can actually get some good deals and save serious money. So let's talk now about my first property purchase. So I bought my first home 2015. Uh, It was a three-bedroom townhouse and I paid $525,000 for it, like so crazy. And what I did, I had $50,000 saved. So, you know, we'll call that 10%. And then... I paid lender's mortgage insurance. So I think it was like another 15 grand and I borrowed that as well. So that was kind of just the mechanics of my first property. And these numbers are different now, but it's also a different climate. You can get the government um, loan deposit scheme and save 5% and do all that. So I know that it's a different environment, but I just want to talk concepts with you. I did LMI. The exit strategy for my first property, I was thankful enough to be able to buy a townhouse that was brand new. I was the first person who lived in it. So it wasn't an off the plan. It was finished and built by the builder. Then they sold it. I think at the time I got a stamp duty waiver from the government for first home. And I think I got a $15,000 grant uh, for a first home by a new home scheme. Um, they didn't have the first home super saver scheme back there. So I didn't use it. So I got the 15 grand. I didn't pay stamp duty. So basically had a $65,000 deposit And then I paid a little bit of LMI because you'll have to pay LMI if you are borrowing um, over 80% of the purchase price. So why did I pay LMI when I had a parental guarantee available? Good question. Glad you asked. I took the view that I would rather keep my parents out of it. And this is purely based on your relationship, what you want, and if there is the option for a parental guarantee, and I'll get into the detail of it soon. But I don't want to cause stress for mum and dad to have to sign paperwork. They were busy. I knew that they wanted to move house and and sure, you can move guarantees and all that, but I was just like, I'm happy to just pay and get in there. I just didn't, didn't want to involve them. So yeah, for me, it was just the cost of getting my house to live in and out of a rental sooner than later and not 
um, taking up the offer of a parental guarantee. So secondly, the exit strategy for me was I knew because one, it was a brand new property. Two, it was in a really premium suburb on the New South Wales Central Coast. You can look it up. It's called Blue Bay. It's near Toowoomba Bay. It was in a premium suburb, like two minute walk down to the beach. You hear the ocean from the bedroom. Absolute premium. I'm so fortunate. So for me, I went in saying, I'm never selling this property. And how I set that up was, it was going to be not my forever home. Like I wouldn't be living there forever. I think I lived there for seven years, then moved up here to Newcastle. So I set the mortgage up and this is why it comes to do with exit strategy and having a good mortgage broker. I got a mortgage and it was my first property. So I was a bit worried. I think half of the mortgage was fixed and the other half was variable. I think I fixed it at like five and a half percent. And then I had an offset account on the variable portion. So I was paying principal and interest on the um, both of the, the mortgages effectively, had two mortgages, one a variable, one a fixed, and one offset account offsetting the variable amount. So I was just saving money in my offset account and use it as my cash hub. So then when I wanted to do other stuff or if I moved out, I can just take the money from the offset account. Um, and then now that property is now an investment property. It's performing well. Uh, the value is more than doubled. So did I mind paying a little bit of LMI and not involving dad and mum? No, I didn't. Paid down the mortgage like the last almost 10 years. So I owe bugger all on it. It's worth over a million probably. So there's plenty. And I'm just being very open and transparent and I've been fortunate enough to you know be in the market since 2015 and do all that stuff. Uh, but for me, yeah, the exit strategy was big and particularly because it was brand new, uh, I could have a depreciation schedule when I did turn it into an investment property. Uh, I knew that I would have hardly any maintenance issues. Uh, we had one kind of garage water leak in my garage, uh, but the builder like four years later, he came back and fixed it. So that was fine. They had a bit of warranty there. Uh, all the appliances had warranty. Actually, <laughs> the LG um, air conditioner, the that died. And I remember, this is so crazy sidebar, I'll never buy another LG product again. It's not because the products are crap, because the warranty and service after was horrendous. I called them and they're like, yeah, we've got one person in that area. They can come out in six weeks. And then I called them and like, yeah, we'll come out and have a look. If we need to order parts, it's probably going to be another six weeks. So that's 12 weeks in like November, right? I'm like this is ridiculous. And again, in my life, it sounds snobby, whatever. Money's not my problem. I'm like, I can't deal with this. I want an air conditioner. I called my aircon guy and he came in and just put a new one in. Done. So I'm not buying LG again. <laughs> so, <laughs> I just won't buy LG anything. Will I? They may advertise on this podcast in the future. Whatever, I'll advertise their products, but their sales support sucks. Uh, so yeah, really good aircon, nice and cold, but didn't last the three-year warranty period. Um, so anyway, sorry, I digress. So yeah, I had the warranty, um, set up the mortgage, so it was a uh, you know going to be an exit strategy for never sell. I think I may have used a little bit of equity on another property. So these are just some of the considerations now. I'm going to pay the bills, probably run an ad for LG in the ad break, and we'll come back and I'll talk about 
uh, the parental guarantee if it is an option for you and also uh, if you are a single person, what you might consider doing. And then I'll read a heap of uh, gold from the Facebook group. I appreciate you letting me have a bit of a solo rant and chat today. I really love talking with everyone here. So I'll be back right after this. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Rightio, I am back. So one option for getting into your home sooner is the parental guarantee. So how that works is if you had and we'll keep it round numbers just so it's easy. If you were fortunate enough to buy a million dollar property, right? And I'm just using round numbers. Before paying LMI, you would need to save $200,000 as a deposit. And saving $200,000 is pretty much impossible, as I think Ralph Wiggum said. So how does the parental guarantee work? So if there was a million dollar property that you were buying and your parents had a house that had more than $200,000 of equity, what the bank would do is they would set up a loan for $200,000 that you pay for, but in the background, it's secured against their property. Then, and we're just assuming, you know, you are borrowing 100%, then there would be another loan set up for $800,000 that is secured against your property. So then what you would probably do is you would try and... uh, you might have an offset account against the parental guarantee portion or the other portion. So you would try and pay that $200,000 mortgage down sooner to release the guarantee. Now, if you are in a position where there is a parental guarantee that could be available, this in theory and in practice means you can buy a home tomorrow with 100% borrowing. But you just need to make sure that you're not borrowing too much. Like my first point, you're out of consumer debt, your mortgage repayments are more than 30%. So that is a legitimate option that many Australians use. Now, the whole thing is, if your parents are worried, you just make sure the mortgage broker uses a bank or lender that doesn't use the whole house as security for that 200,000, but just 
the 200,000. So worst case scenario is in three years time, you fail to pay down your mortgage and you go into arrears and the bank comes and takes the house. All the bank care about is clearing the mortgage. Your house may have increased in value. You know, what if it increased 1.2 million? You paid a million dollars for it. Well, they would just sell the house and clear all the debt. If you didn't pay your bills and they wanted to come and take the house, they would sell the house. And even if they sold it um, for $850,000, right? The $150,000 would still be secured against the parent's property. And then you or your parents would just be responsible for paying that down. So I really think it is a low risk strategy. The higher, I think the bigger risk is more a relational risk. Uh, I was talking to a friend of the podcast in, I think, Perth they were. And he was like, oh, yeah, we've got this parental guarantee with my father-in-law. I don't love it. Like, I'm, I've just been married. I want to be my own man and all that. I don't want to rely on my father-in-law. to." So that was a weird vibe and they just worked really hard to release that um, parental guarantee. But it is an option. Uh, so that's obviously not going to be for everyone. Uh, but in my book, Sort Your Money Out, there's a really good diagram of the parental guarantee. And I would encourage you if you do have parents that may consider doing this, uh, show them that book, um, have a chat to the mortgage brokers, Sphere Home Loans. They help out all our listeners here. Have a chat to a good mortgage broker and they can talk it through with your parents. So I think it is a low risk strategy. Another option, and this one is most of the time I'm not in favor of this option, but I think it does have its uh, purpose. I've got a friend who is single. She's in her 40s, uh, lives in Sydney, and her housemate is also in her 40s. And this friend's like, look, I'm probably happy being single for this, like, whatever, this is life, um, and they're renting. I floated the idea. I'm like, well, you and your friend, you're both renting a house together a unit, I think there is a strong argument to potentially go in 50-50 and buy a place uh, for a couple of reasons. The friendship is pretty rock solid and they've lived together for the last four to five years and their situation's pretty stable. Uh, You would, of course, have some carve-outs if you were buying with a friend and you were happy to live with that friend. Uh, The carve-outs, like if situations change and uh, we need to get out, there needs to be six months' notice. And then if you can't buy me out, we both agree that the property gets sold and we go on our merry way. You just have to have the chat and that goes back to exit strategy. I think it's less of an appealing option for people in their early 20s. And I think it's a fact of life that in your early 20s, you are really getting established in life and you might want to, at the drop of a hat, oh, I'm going overseas for 12 months. Oh, I met this person. We're going to move in together and all that stuff. There is just more moving parts, but if you are well over kind of that 30, 35 and there is a situation where it could work, I mean, that's not to say that it wouldn't work for someone in their early 20s. Like number one, you obviously want to be able to live with someone and be happy to live with someone and maybe have, maybe be renting with them already. Or that exit strategy, we just get rock solid. It's like if you want to move out, I've got final say of the person who's renting your room in your house. Like, yes, it is your house. You own half of the house. But if you want to piss off overseas for 12 months, you either keep the money coming in to pay the mortgage and no one's in there. Or if there is a person that's going to come in, I've got to agree with it. It's not a share house. And and all this stuff, you agree with it before you do it. 
So that's an option as well. Uh, there's some other options for people in this climate range from Sphere Home Loans. Uh, she was saying the other day there are lenders now who are doing 35-year mortgage terms, which will help with servicing and get you in the market. That's an option. But what I want you to do first, if you're overwhelmed, can't find a house, too expensive, blah, 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 I want you to not worry. I want you to say, pick a number. That number could be 800000 purchase price. If you're a couple and you want to buy a first home or a single and that number is, we'll just say $600,000 for a nice two-bedroom apartment or something like that. What I want you to do is pick that target purchase price and all I want you to worry about is saving 5% after you've cleared consumer debt. After you've done your emergency fund, remember we wanted to sound financial house first. I need you to have an emergency fund. I need you to have your insurances in place. Another thing with the parental guarantee, you can tell your parents... I have income insurance, so if I can't work due to illness or injury, money won't stop. Income will never stop. So that's another thing that I'd really encourage you to do. So 800,000, 5% of 800,000, that's $40,000, okay? All I want you to care about is getting to $40,000. Turn off domain, turn off real estate, forget about it, put up with renting, all that stuff. Your only reason for living, if you want to buy a house to live in, is to save 5% of a target amount. That's all you That's all you care about. Your financial reason for living is to save 5%. $600,000 would be $30,000. Your whole reason for living, and if we go back to the Jim Carrey quote, if you're not willing to downgrade your lifestyle for a year to have a lifestyle you want forever, you care too much about what people think. So are you prepared as a first home buyer, to not go out to brunch three times a week? Are you prepared as a first home buyer to drive around in a friggin' Toyota Corolla or Camry worth $7,000 that's still as reliable as gold uh, for a period of time? Every person that I know, single or couple, that has saved up, even in this climate, it is possible, and bought their first home, guess what? They haven't had a car loan. I have honestly met hundreds of people at our live events all around Australia. They DM us. I've got friends. They have a target, they sacrifice and they go get it. They don't do the holidays. They don't do the cars, no new cars, no car loans, no consumer debt. We don't go out much. This is for a period of time. It's not forever. How much do you want your goal? That's the question for you. How much do you want this? Are you prepared to down grade if possible. And again, I get it. It's tough out there. I rent, I've looked for rentals and all that stuff. It's a bitch. It's really hard. Are you prepared to even live a little bit further out of where you are, rent somewhere cheaper, even if it's a hundred dollars a week cheaper? Again, might not be possible where you are, but go with me. I'm broadcasting this podcast to all over Australia and the world, not just you living in Balmain. So are you prepared to sacrifice to win? That's my question. It is possible. Is it easy? No. Is it worth it? Yes. How bad do you want the goal? Only you can answer that. Your reason for living financially at the moment is to save 5%. And I would still say save 5%, even if you're getting a parental guarantee. I need you to have that target and good savings behind you because it means you're in a good financial habit. 
So if you're a spender like me, get the Glenn James Spending Plan. Have a rock solid system in place. Have your home savings account elsewhere. Another bank, first home super savings scheme. You can do it. People have done it before. With your goals, how realistic are your goals? You may need to rent where you want to live and you may need to build wealth elsewhere. You may need to go, look, we're digital nomads. We can work from anywhere. We're going to pick up and move. I mean, it's tough out there. And the more you want something, the harder you'll work for it. And the more you'll turn off any other distractions. And I'm talking about financial distractions. You're trimming your budget down so tight. You're going vegetarian. You're not buying meat. You're really focused. And again, it's not forever. We're doing breakfast one day a week. We're making coffee at home. You're bloody turning off 15 subscriptions and having one or two. You are getting very serious. You're selling your car that's worth 20 grand that you've paid off and buying a 10 grand car and secondhand cars are coming back down. It's data, it's fact. I saw an article in the AFR the other day. Things are normalizing in car land post-COVID. So what are you going to do to get focused, to get your attention on your goal? You might be sitting there whinging and moaning, oh, I can't buy a house, oh, I can't do Stop being a victim, set a goal, set a plan, be hungry and go and get it. It's not going to take 10 minutes. This could be a two-year savings campaign. It could be a three-year savings campaign. How much do you want it? I've had to sacrifice to get my first home. Everyone here listening has had to. What are you going to do? You may decide that, hang on, I don't actually give a crap. I'm happy renting and I'm just building wealth over here. Now, back to if you're single, one income. Yes, it's hard. What are you going to do? Are you going to rent and invest elsewhere? It sucks. You, you get penalized for not having a dual income. You know, rent's double for you because you can't split it with your lover or partner or whatever you call it. There is a single tax. I get it. I'm one of them. I'd have heaps more money if I wasn't single. You get that scale in your life. But what's your actual goal? Now, one of the reasons getting that 5% target is it gets you in the habit of saving money. It gets a bit of a critical mass behind you. It stops you worrying about looking on domain or real estate and dreaming, getting freaking depressed every 10 minutes when you look for homes that you can't afford. And then what it does, it kind of can activate you into that uh, government uh, loan deposit guarantee scheme, which whatever they call it, John writes about in his book. So I'm going to just read now uh, a heap of responses from the Facebook group and I hope they encourage you. And I just want to thank everyone for uh, being in the Facebook group and letting me share your awesome stories. Joe, make sacrifices, use the schemes, e.g. first home super saver, first home owner, no LMI, etc. And don't think you're going to buy where you grew up. Okay. Jack said, entering the property market is not buying a multi-million dollar house in an inner city suburb. Oh, I thought it was. Far out, Jack. Reckon my plans. Buy regional. There's still lots of places that are affordable. The regions are great. I would actually, it's probably not friggin' affordable if you live down there, but I would move to Hobart. I love that place. So maybe if I end up finding someone who can put up with me, uh, we'll live in Hobart and live in the region. Is Hobart a region? It's probably not. It's probably considered a capital city. Hey, everyone in Hob, Hobie. Timothy, they save, they aren't scared of LMI. They take full advantage of any applicable government grants and probably move a little further out than they might ideally like 
and a good broker helps too. So yeah, absolutely. And if you need a mortgage broker, Sphere Home Loan supports our podcast, My Millennial Money. They've got a full team that helps uh, first home buyers. Ben said, I work three jobs, one of which is my main income for expenses. One of the other is for investing slash saving and discretionary spending takeaway car modifications and repairs. And the other is going directly into a high yield savings account that's hard to access to save for a house. We are also saving around 10% of mine and my wife's take home income into that high yield savings account. It's hard as I work 50 to 60 hours. Wow. And my wife works 40 to 50 hours and we have kids. Sadly, this is the reality of buying these days, requiring multiple jobs and living way below your means. We will get there but don't want to take on lots of debt. Our borrowing power is 800K, but we'll spend max on 300K on a crappy house, 40Ks from where we work and commute. So, I mean, I don't know where you're buying 300K. He must live somewhere that's not anywhere near the smell of Sydney but or Melbourne. But this is such a good example. Ben is putting the hustle on and they will get it. They will absolutely get it. And I like that they're still having some discretionary spending So the question is, does Ben just do two jobs and not have the discretionary takeaway and all that? But guess what? It's Ben's life. He can do what he wants because this is not forever. This is just till they achieve their goal. Uh, So don't be afraid of a bit of hard work every now and again. Ben said, I was lucky enough to buy a townhouse when I was 20 to get my foot in the door. Fast forward 15 years and I'm doing pretty good. I'd hate to be a first home buyer now and I'm fearful of what the market will be like for my kids, yeah. And that's kind of the big rant. If the big rant didn't make it to the start of this episode, uh, and I think I will put it in the back, I did this full big rant. Oh, I'll put it at the very end in the after party. Deborah, buy something affordable like Tassie or regional. Buy one home, then another from equity. It will take a while. You can rent them out and live where you are now. Once you get some real equity, you can sell both and maybe buy something you want to live in. I bought a super cheap unit I would never live in and then another and waited, then bought my house a few years later. Still have a mortgage, of course, just smaller. See, and that's a strategy play. That goes back to your exit strategy. Natalie said, it's really challenging, but it's doable. I've just done it. As a single 32-year-old, it really does come down to an intense saving plan, sacrifice, and surrounding yourself with people who keep encouraging you to keep going. I did the move back home to save option for two years, but if I didn't do that, it would be share housing. I side hustled all last year doing Uber Eats. I went vego, stopped drinking, found a broker who gave me a really good confidence boost and helped me realize how achievable it was. I also lowered my expectations right now of what my first home would look like. And now that I'm in it, it doesn't even matter. You learn to love the hideous bathroom tiles, etc. just because they are yours and you've worked so hard to get them. Good on you, Natalie. Killing it. Gabrielle, the 5% deposit schemes are really helpful. Also, look into First Home Super Saver Scheme. The money you get from your tax returns each year will help you save for your deposit quicker. Just be mindful that the funds take a few weeks to be released. You can release the funds before you buy, but you'll need to purchase within 12 months. Otherwise, you could release the funds once you purchase and look at using a deposit bond or shorter term loan from a family member. Not everyone has this option. Good luck. Jamie said, my dad went guarantor for my husband and I in 2018, where we bought an hour out of Newcastle to make it as cheap as possible. We sold that place in 21 for a 30% profit and moved 
in with my dad, we were able to save over 100K in two years. And during that time, we were able to buy land and build our forever home. And we also paid for our wedding during that time. We literally would not have been able to do anything close to this without the generosity of my dad. And there is 100% no shame in that, um, like some of the comments kind of allude to. Okay, so there might have been some spice in there. And that's it. Like, we all have different situations. Some situations are highly privileged. Some are not. So I just wanted to call that out. Stuart. It takes a very large commitment and a very good deposit. People need to listen to what I'm going to say. Oh gosh. And I haven't read this crap. I read this on the fly because I like to get you know excited. Here we go. People need to listen to what I'm going to say. My first home was nine squares. Tiny home, but was brand new with a small land package. The smallest home you can buy today is probably over 20 squares. Double garage, theater room, home office, and our fresco at the rear. Now tell me why people cannot afford a first home. There's a few comments there, whatever. Samantha, I bought two years ago when interest rates were still fairly low. Much of my deposit was made up of robo-debt refund. Wow, that was wild. Some savings I would save myself. I live regionally and bought a really cheap house at $250,000. Crystal said, uh, and I'm just reading the comment from Dell in the Facebook group. I feel you, I'm the same it's the how. I get the sacrificing and saving part, but it's the options like guarantor, LMI, etc. Like what options are there for those who can't get a guarantor? What are the rules for going halves in property with other people? Sick of people giving the save and sacrifice advice, not even helpful. Sorry, I just ranted about sacrificing. Uh, and I think I, I have made it pretty clear that um, the rules for going halves in a property, you can go halves in a property with anyone. I could go next door to my neighbor who's like 75 and be like, hey, do you want to go house in a property? I'm all right, sweet. So there, so there's no rules there. We all we get our own mortgages and we get the property um, tenants in common. And that's another thing I want to highlight. If you are buying with someone, you don't get joint tenants, uh, particularly if they're not a family member or like a spouse. You do tenants in common uh, and any good conveyancer, lawyer, mortgage broker will check that the title is set up that way. So if you check out, um, your share goes to your estate, not automatically to the other person as joint tenants. Um, so yeah, you, you do have some good options, uh, Crystal. Um, and I hope it was helpful to some people, my rants about sacrifice. Because people, we sipping on their latte right now with their latte breath splurging, spending and whinging that they can't afford a house. Well, any wonder, but Crystal, you're onto it. Alison, we bought a rundown house in a good area and done it up, sold it for profit and are moving regionally for affordability and a bigger house. Marique, buy something affordable within your means. Look into small units and apartments as they are more affordable and realistically, unless you have a massive family or dogs, you don't need a large house. Don't believe the BS spread that you should buy a house. Also, less maintenance, so it's a win. Have a lower deposit, 10 to 15, and take LMI as it's easy to save that amount rather than the full 20%. Save a lot and try and cut out some luxuries, not all. Buy in areas that are affordable or sacrifice size for a better location. Some good advice there. And that's it. Get to your 5%, then come up for air. Talk to a mortgage broker. I just don't think you should worry about talking to a mortgage broker, and you can, until you've got 5%. 
I really don't think you should even worry about researching homes because it just gets all emotional and like I can't watch those grand design shows because I get so depressed that I'll never be able to have an awesome house like that. <laughs> so I just don't and maybe that's just me having a voidism and all that. But real, realistically, get 5% saved, get some money behind you, then worry about the next step. And the next step could be, um, sweet, we'll use the government guarantee, blah, blah, blah. Next step could be, sweet, yeah, we can probably get a parental guarantee. Next step could be, look, we might be able to get a loan with the lender with a 5% deposit over X amount of years. So it's just always good to have a little bit of cash behind you. Jordan said, spend less on discretionary. I've decided to stop getting hair cuts and buzz cut my own hair due to prices these days, save an extra 900 per year. Kieran said, work a FIFO job and budget. Yeah, can you do something dramatic for a year? And that could be you get a FIFO job. That could be moving in with parents if they let you and you can save money there. Again, it's not always an option to get a FIFO job. It's not always an option to um, moving with your parents. Can you downsize your current rental? Again, not always an option. So when we say this crap on the podcast and in the Facebook group, you've got to realize that not everything is for everyone. So we're just broad here. Jess said, increase income, decrease living expenses. Vanessa said, be willing to buy smaller, i.e. a unit or townhouse, and keep in mind that it's not your forever home if you do want to eventually move into something bigger. Joanne said, keep saving until you get 5% deposit, then speak to a broker. Joanne, you're my people. I'm totally vibing your comment. Thank you. They gave up all luxuries for five years and got a small property. Happy with the purchase, but you know the situations now. Wait and don't worry about missing any properties which you liked. Time will come. Yeah. I'm the personality. It's like you can take some luxuries, but not forever. <laughs> I don't think I want anything that bad that I can't enjoy a couple of coffees at a cafe a week or whatever luxuries that I might have. Um, Joanne, as a single mum, each time I graduated in the improvement of each home, I had to save the deposit for the next home prior to selling the current. One, I always purchased the worst house in the best street I could afford. There was no social life that cost money, i.e. it was meal shared with friends who were also in the same boat or similar, struggling to stay afloat as they were. The 2% deposit LMI entry is a good option. A chat with a mortgage broker producing all of your expenses will give you some focus on how you can jolt your savings and focus. It won't happen overnight. And that's where so many fail. They lose focus to the end goal. The basics are spend less and earn more and learn how to save. Where to put the money while you are saving too. So that's kind of like, how bad do you want it? And you need to have a real come to Jesus moment. How bad do you want this? And I'm doing dramatic pauses on purpose. Robert said, and this is the last one that I'm going. I guess it depends on what you want. As a single person, are you looking for a place big enough for a single person or are you trying to buy a small family home as a single person? Yeah, that's a good one. My only advice to anyone who is a single person buying, if possible, I'd really, 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 really encourage you to get, if you are getting the apartment, um, get two bed, two bath, one bath as a minimum. I just think it will give you better options in the future. And that's kind of the exit planning future proof. But like, if you want a studio apartment, knock yourself out. If you want a one bedroom apartment, knock yourself out. 
anyone who ever asks me, I'll always be encouraging them, regardless of their situation, to stretch a little bit further to buy a two bed, preferably two bath if possible. And I know some of the older ones don't, or at least a toilet in a separate bathroom area if there is a two bedroom, because you just want as many options as possible uh, down the track. But look, I'm gonna take off. I've had a big old chat. I hope it's been a bit entertaining and fun. If you are, or if you do know someone who is a home buyer and they wanna try and get in the market or they're feeling a bit down or whatnot, why don't you send them this episode? I'd love to have a chat to them. And yeah, we will leave it there. My name's Glenn James. Thanks for listening. We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports a variety of charities, and we encourage you to consider giving as part of your overall financial strategy. If you would like some giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to mymillennial.money forward slash charities for more info. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. 
first and second generation immigrants that live here and who listen to this podcast and who make Australia what it is today. The government have announced that we are reducing that back to, I think, around 250000 per year uh, with an extra kind of tilt to more skilled and higher English literacy and all that stuff. But the reason I just want to say that is the government are really aware that there's a problem. Will action be taken soon enough? I'm not sure. So that's one of the problems we've got now. And if you just think conservatively, if there was 250,000 new immigrants to Australia, and sure, we'll, we'll say that that's made up of family units, that could be maybe 50 to 60,000 homes that are required across Australia. You think the last few years, you know, if we did have 500,000 people, what if there was 120,000 homes required for them? And I'm not, like, I've got no problem with immigration. I think that it's good that the government have looked at this and be like, well, it's only causing us big problems here. Uh, so that's all good. It's it's not really about that, but I'm just highlighting why the property market is so much harder to get into now because not only do we have a supply and demand issue that causes the prices to increase, we've also got a big issue in Australia around infrastructure. I saw the 7.30 program on uh, ABC a few weeks ago and they were talking about a, a town southwest of Sydney, I think called Appen. Like everyone's acutely aware of this housing crisis, right? But the state government, they are rezoning plots and lots and all that, making all this stuff, but they're not looking at the infrastructure. So that's also a huge problem. So I, I just want to say out loud that to buy your first home in this current moment in time it is very hard and it's harder than it was even 10 years ago. When I bought my first home, I think it was in 2015, it was hard. Like interest rates were five and a half percent. I still had to save $50,000 I, I, and I can share how I did um, my first home. But it's hard. It's always been hard, but now it's just a little bit harder because of the supply and demand issues. And it's not just immigration. That's kind of just like, oh, it's really crazy. Oh, by the way, here's an extra 100,000 houses you need. And I even think if the immigration level was zero for the next three years, it would still be a nightmare in Australia. Like we've got a really big problem in this country when it comes to affordable housing for those who aren't uh, as fortunate enough uh, to rent at commercial rates. We've got a problem for people who are uh, maybe live with a disability and they need to actually be in care accommodation and all that. We've got a problem for families who are in a two-bedroom apartment who can't afford to even rent a bigger apartment. Like, So all this to say, there is a huge problem and I'm not ignoring the facts that we have some huge problems here in Australia right now when it comes to housing. So I just want to call that out. It's really bad and I legitimately worry. Um, I think it is ridiculous that, you know, in suburbia outside of a capital city, like an hour away from a capital city, in some states, people have still got to pay seven to $800,000 for a fibro shack. 
and I don't know what the solution is uh, structurally. It, it's obviously a, a supply issue and good on particularly where I am in New South Wales. They are trying to fast track things and make more homes. I think it is an infrastructure issue with um, state and federal governments building roads, building schools, building hospitals. Like oh, as good as Australia is, far out we suck at doing some stuff. And I put it down to the short-term electoral cycles where governments, they'll do stuff just for the next three years to get back into office. Maybe we need a dictator for 10 years <laughs> just to come in and say, all right, we're doing this, we're building this road, we're doing that, we're building this, done, shut up. Nah, joking. But that's just such a problem. Australia, for as good as it is where we are geographically in the world, our climate, our lifestyle, um, our multiculturalism, all the good things about Australia, they're so amazing, but we totally, totally suck at forward thinking and planning um, to look after our own citizens. And I'm not even talking housing affordability. I'm talking rental affordability. I'm talking like the cost of energy in Australia. Like, and this isn't a climate statement, but there's enough gas in Australia to power Australia probably for a thousand years. And we don't get that for cheap. And I'm, yeah, I'm getting very far from, <laughs> from talking about property. But why, why is the Australian gas price based on global prices? Oh, that's right, capitalism. Yeah, okay, sorry, forgot about that. But anyway, I could rant for days about the good things, which there are so many good things in Australia. I can rant for days about the bad things, about how governments of this country of all persuasions have dropped the bloody ball when it comes to housing, when it comes to infrastructure, when it comes to energy, and when it comes to climate. Now, I just said the C word, climate. Don't at me and say I'm too woke, but when it comes down to it, it is, if not the biggest issue in our life after waking up in the morning and having food and shelter and a good place to live. You know what I mean? So, okay. That was a rant and I'm really sorry, but let's talk about homes and getting into your first home if you are still with me. And if you are new to the podcast, I don't usually go on such a rant, but I just want to say it is tough out there. I acknowledge that it is tough out there. My name's Glenn James and this is money, I guess. We're talking about money. <laughs> 